Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Um, All right, we're going to get into the message today, and I'm excited that we are concluding uh, this series that we have been in for the last six weeks entitled Rhythm is Gonna Get You, where we've been talking about how to establish or perhaps reestablish some healthy spiritual rhythms in our lives. Uh, We've all been wired for rhythm, as we said every single week. Yes, yea, even those of you who are excessively white and you do not know how to dance, you were wired for rhythm, and we we are wired to thrive when there are certain spiritual rhythms established in our lives. We've talked about a number of those over the last few weeks. Talked about the rhythm of pressing and the rhythm of repentance and the rhythm of putting God first in our lives, the rhythm of filling up so that we can pour out. And then the last couple of weeks, we talked about uh, the rhythm of rest and this biblical concept of Sabbath and making sure that we work and then we rest and then we repeat and we run it back. Uh, But today we are gonna conclude this series by talking about a subject that I really do think is pivotal right now, especially in light of, of maybe some increased cases and some chaos that's happening happening around our world, and we don't really know what the next couple of weeks or months look like. Uh, But this this particular rhythm, I think, is going to rescue us from feeling devastated or depleted or down and out over the next couple of weeks, and that's this one. I want to talk about the rhythm of remembrance, the rhythm of remembrance. Uh, the, the, the scripture, excuse me, the, um, the definition that we've been given for this word for the last couple of weeks is that rhythm is a strong, regular, repeated pattern in our lives. And as believers, it is so important that we have an established pattern, a regular rhythm of looking back and remembering the faithfulness of God in the past, looking back and seeing how good he's been. Because if we don't have the capacity to do that, if we do not have that rhythm built into our lives, it can be devastating not only to our present state, but also to our future. And so I want to give you a thesis as we start out today, just a thesis that we're going to unpack that kind of alludes to that a little bit. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. But here's what I believe to be true, and here's what we're going to look at the word and prove today. Uh, Remembrance gives us hope for the present and faith for the future. Come on, can you say that with me today? Remembrance gives us hope for the present and faith for the future. I believe that with every ounce of my being, and, and we're, gonna, we're gonna look at that concept a little bit today. If you have a Bible, um, open it up to the book of Psalms, chapter 77, and we're gonna look at a song from a guy by the name of Asaph. Asaph was one of the worship leaders in uh, D- uh, King David's temple there, and uh, he writes this incredible song that gives us an insight into this rhythm uh, found in Psalm 77, starting in verse one. He says, I cry out to God, yes, I shout, oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed with hands lifted towards heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with the longing for his help. You don't let me sleep. I'm too distressed even to pray. I think of the good old days, long since ended, when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I search my soul and I ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And then he throws this line in there, Selah. Everyone say Selah, Selah. We'll talk about that word a little bit later. Psalm 77, 10, he goes on to say, but then I recall all you have done. Oh Lord, I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I can't stop thinking about your mighty works. Oh God, your ways are, are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders and you demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeemed your people, 
Israel. I wanna dissect that for the next couple of moments. And I think as we look into this Psalm, we're going to see how important it is to build this rhythm of remembrance in our life if we are going to have hope today and faith for tomorrow and not be devastated in the midst of our current season. So uh, we're gonna pray, and as we do, let me give you a title that you can write at the top of your notes there if you're into titles, you all know how much I like them. Uh, we're gonna call this one, Stack Up the Stones. Stack Up the Stones. Let me pray. Jesus, I, I thank you for your presence, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. I thank you that today, as we gather here in this building and online, um, we know that as we draw near to you, that you're gonna draw near to us. Uh, we, we believe that your word has the power to change us. We believe that your presence has the power to change us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we go to your word today and we look at this rhythm of remembrance, that you would call to memory all of the times of the past where you've been faithful to us. God, you would call to memory the, the things of the past that point to your goodness so that we don't end up getting stuck in our current season. We love you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen, amen. Um, I have made it no secret that I am a proud Apple product user here at the Father's House, all right? How many of you guys are Apple people here? You know, okay. I'm in the right church. That feels good, all right. I know that some of you have not yet crossed over to the light. Uh, you are still living in the darkness of the Android. Um, and among the long list of prayers that I pray every single day, I do pray that one day you would follow me as I follow Christ in this area. But um, I, love, I love Apple products. I, I love the, the minds that go into creating Apple products because they are so simple to use. They're so intuitive. There are so many helpful features in the Apple product line. But I think paramount of those features, one of the things I use every single day of my life is Siri. I absolutely love Siri. Anyone else use Siri all the time besides me? Yeah, a lot of us. Siri is one of the greatest inventions of all time, and here's why. Regardless of where you're at on the socioeconomical scale or what your job title is, Siri makes all of us feel like we can have a personal assistant, right? Like even if you're not a baller, you can have a personal assistant if you have Siri. She'll do whatever you ask her to do. You just ask for help and she's right there. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. Let's say you're sitting in bed in the morning and uh, you don't want to crawl out of the, you know, the, the warm bed into the freezing cold, which it's, you know, it's gotten cold lately. And God forbid you look at your phone to find out the weather. So you could just ask Siri to tell you what the weather is so that you know what it is for the day. Hey Siri, what's the weather today? It's currently clear and 61 degrees. Not bad. By the way, if I had a personal assistant, she'd be a Brit. So um, that's why she talks like that. Don't judge me. Um, Let's, let's pretend that you don't know the answer to a question and you have two options. You can sort it out, you can search online for hours, or you could just ask your personal assistant and she'll tell you. How many licks does it take to get to the center of Tootsie Pop? Here's an answer from SpoonUniversity.com. The approximate number of licks to get the center of the Tootsie Pop is 480 licks. 480 licks. Now you know. All you had to do was ask your personal assistant. Perhaps you're driving along the road and you don't want to break the law by texting your significant other. Well, fear not. You can just ask your personal assistant to do it for you. Text lover girl. I'll see you after church. Winky face. Ready to send it? Oh, yeah. Okay, don't, okay. If I call my wife lover girl, you should be glad, okay? We've been married for 16 years and it's still spicy, all right? Come on. If you forget your name, you could just ask Siri and she will tell you your name. What's my name? You're Tim, but since we're friends, I get to call you Sugar Pants. Hey. <laughs> She's a little sassy, so you know, we're just working it out. It's a good time. 
And you can ask Siri for all the help you ever need. She's, she's there waiting to help you. But I, I think one of the greatest features of Siri's technology is that she has the ability to remind you to remember certain things. Like if you are forgetful like me, you can set a little reminder in your phone and give them morning and say, hey Siri, remind me to call that person. Remind me to text that person. Remind me to pick this thing up from the store. And I use that constantly. There's probably not a day that goes by that I don't use the reminder feature in Siri. Uh, but I recently found out that there is actually another component to the reminder technology built into Siri and that is location-based reminders. Some of you may have known this already, but I didn't and I've been using it like crazy this week since I found out. Turns out you can ask Siri to remind you about a specific thing when you arrive at a specific location or when you're leaving a specific location. So I set a reminder on my phone this week to say, every time I leave my house, remind me to make sure that the furnace is turned off, that the windows are closed, that the doors are locked, that the lights are turned off. And when I get in my car, as I begin to leave, Siri knows where I'm at because of GPS, which is a little bit terrifying, but we'll sort that out later. And she says to me, hey, don't forget, turn off the lights, close the doors. It's, it's an amazing piece of technology. But I was thinking this week as I was preparing the sermon, wouldn't it be nice if Siri didn't just have the capacity to recognize my physical location and remind me to do certain things, but wouldn't it be awesome if Siri knew where I was at spiritually and she can remind me of certain things? And maybe that is a little more terrifying than any of us want to think about. AI is taking over the world. But think about this for a moment. What if you were walking through an incredibly difficult season? You lost the job. You got the diagnosis. The marriage looks like it's on the rocks. And in the middle of your despair, all of a, all of a sudden Siri pops on. Hello, sugar pants. Just want to remind you, if you consider the faithfulness of God right now, that'll give you hope for your present and faith for your future. Like, oh, thank you so much, Siri. Like, like cold water to the soul. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> but alas, it does not work like that, does it? Siri doesn't know where you're at spiritually. <laughs> In fact, most people don't necessarily know where you're at. And even those who try to talk you into feeling a certain way when you're walking through a dark chapter of life, their words, Siri's words, their reminders, they don't really do much for us. I think as we've all experienced, there comes times in life where the only person who can talk you out of your pit of despair is you. The only person that has the capacity to speak faith to your soul is you. You have to be able to remind yourself of who God is and how good he is if you ever wanna break free of that pit. Because if you don't, you could get stuck in a prolonged season and never make it out of there. And I think that's what Asaph is pointing to in this, in this scripture. Uh, maybe Psalm 77 is an unfamiliar piece of, uh, of scripture to you. Maybe you've never heard this before. But even if the lyrics of this song are foreign to you, I think its sentiment is familiar to all of us. I think we have all been in a Psalm 77 season before. In fact, I think life comes complete with a whole lot of Psalm 77 seasons. And perhaps you are walking through one of those right now. And I think as we look to the response of this songwriter, we're going to find some help. We're gonna find a secret into making sure that we don't stay stuck here. So let's dissect this a little bit. Let's look at his process. Here's how Asaph starts this whole thing out in Psalm 77, verse two. He says, when I was in deep trouble, when things were, were hitting the fan, I searched for the Lord. All night long, I prayed with hands lifted towards heaven, but my soul was not comforted. Pause there for a moment. So Asaph knows how to respond to a difficult season. He responds like every good Christian does. He's like, okay, 
I was in the midst of a a troublesome time and I prayed. I know that what I'm supposed to do is pray. Okay, Jesus, I pray right now. I pray that you'd deliver me from this thing. I pray that you'd heal it. I pray that you'd you'd set me free. And he begins to pray. He, He does what Christians do. And this was not just some like, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Like he literally stayed up all night praying according to this scripture. He pulled an all nighter. He, he believed what it said in James chapter five, that the righteous prayer, uh, excuse me, the fervent prayer of a righteous person, it accomplishes much. So he went after it. He started praying with every ounce of his being, every fiber of his passion. But here's what he says. Even though I prayed, nothing happened. I got no answer. In fact, not only did I, get, did I not get an answer, he says, my soul was not comforted. I didn't find what I was looking for. I didn't get the answer I was hoping for. And I didn't even find any comfort in God when I prayed. And so when he didn't find the comfort and he didn't get the answer, he moves into phase two of his despair. And look what it says in verse four. He says, so now I am too distressed to even pray. He he didn't get the answer. He didn't get the comfort. And he said, you know what? Why am I bothering praying right now? I am wasting my breath. If God was going to deliver me from this, if God was truly listening right now, he would have responded And he hasn't, so I'm not gonna pray any longer. This is a waste of my time. He starts digging himself into this deeper pit, bit by bit. And once he stops praying, he enters into a phase that I think is familiar to many of us. We've probably all done this before. But again, he begins to look back at his past a little too longingly. He takes a a trip down memory lane, if you will. Look look at what he says in the next verse, verse five. He said, oh, I I think of the good old days. They're long since ended when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I search my soul and I ponder the difference now. He's like, oh, I long for the past. I long for the way things used to be. Uh, He sits in the pain of his present and he begins to romanticize yesterday. He starts saying things like, gosh, things were better in that last relationship. Things were better at that last job. Things were better in that previous season. Things were better when I didn't have to deal with the the sickness that I have in my body right now. And he begins to long for the past. He's singing that Beatles song. Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. And oh, how I believe in yesterday. But what he doesn't seem to remember, what many of us don't seem to remember when we enter into that space, is that there's also a lot of pain in the past. Isn't it interesting how when we think about and romanticize the past, we seem to conveniently forget all of the pain and we only seem to remember the highlight reels. Have you noticed how humanity does that? Uh, Just a a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I, we just got these new phones. And uh, I, I... decided when I bought them that I wanted to get phones with smaller storage uh, because I'm cheap, um, but also because I knew that we had a bunch of photos inside our, our, our phones there that needed to be dumped. We had all these unnecessary, you probably have those too, right? Like, you know, when you're in the parking garage, you don't remember where you parked, you take the picture of that, and then you forget to delete it, and you got receipts and all this extra stuff inside your phone. And so I'm like, we've got gigabytes upon gigabytes upon gigabytes of all these unnecessary photos. If we just did a photo dump, we could clear up a whole bunch of space on our phones. So I ordered the ones with, with smaller storage, but I forgot to tell my wife. And so when these new phones show up, I hand her, her her new phone and she starts transferring all the data over. And as she's transferring the, the, the data, she runs out of room and she's like, there's the problem. <laughs> I'm like, 
my bad, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you, we have to get rid of a bunch of the photos in your phone. And she's like, well, there's photos of our kids and, you know, and all, all the good stuff from when they were babies. And I'm like, yeah, but there's also photos of like the carpet and, you know, the, the, the paint that you were trying to look for, the house, like there's a bunch of stuff we don't need in there anymore. So that night when the kids went to bed, we went about the arduous process of dumping hundreds and thousands of photos out of our phone. But in so doing, we, we took a little trip down memory lane. We started looking at all these old videos and all these old photos of our kids. And we're remembering what it was like to have babies and we're watching videos of when they couldn't pronounce certain words correctly. And you know, we're looking at photos of you know, the infant laying on your chest and you're like, oh, I miss those days. And you parents know what I'm talking about. You just look through these photos and you remember what it was like. But you know what we didn't remember was all the other stuff that came along with that season. <laughs> and you parents know what I'm talking about. <laughs> What we didn't remember was that there was night after night after night after night of sleeplessness that caused us to be exhausted and have to live on coffee for months on end. We didn't remember those days where we put the kids in the backseat of the car while they were screaming bloody murder just so that we could get them to fall asleep as we drove around the neighborhood at two o'clock in the morning. We didn't remember the mountains upon mountains upon mountains of poopy diapers that we had to change. And when the kids blew out all over their clothes and the couch and the car and on us and everything smelled like poop, we didn't remember any of that stuff. We didn't have any photos to remember that stuff either. No memory of it. We only remembered the good stuff. We longed for the good stuff, but we forgot that there was a lot of lowlights there as well. And I think if we're not careful, we can do the exact same thing when it comes to our faith. I think if we're not careful, we can look back at our history and at our past and romanticize, have this selective amnesia where we begin to think that everything was better. My best days were behind me. Those were the good old days, just as Asaph says here, but nothing good is gonna come for the next chapter. I wish I could go back to yesterday. And this is built into the fabric of humanity. You are not the first and you will not be the last to romanticize yesterday. I think we talked about it back in January when the Israelites in our series, Personal Exodus, they came out of Egypt and within a matter of days, they're out of food, they're out of water, they come up to Moses and they're like, yo, we have no food, we have no water. Did you just bring us out here to die? Back in Egypt, we had fish and we had, you know, well, they didn't have pork because they were Jewish, but we had chicken, we had all this good stuff. And now here we are, we got no food, we're gonna die in the desert. Just take us back to Egypt. But what they didn't remember was that they were whipped and beaten every single day, that they were oppressed by the Egyptians, that they had been enslaved for 400 years. They only remembered the good stuff of yesterday. And if we are not careful, we can do the same thing. And this is what Asaph finds himself doing here. He remembers the good old days, but he forgets the pain of his past. And as he's taking this trip down memory lane, he begins to ask himself some, some interesting questions. He begins to ask himself some questions that serve to devalue, to, to discredit the goodness and the favor of God in his life. Look at these questions he begins to rattle off. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? One by one by one, these questions become the proverbial nails in his coffin as he finds himself settling in this season. And then that word shows up. 
Selah. Selah is an interesting word. It's used 74 times all throughout the Psalms, and it's a musical term. And, and its definition is this, a musical interlude, a pause in the voices singing while the instruments perform alone. It's the moment where the singers stop and the music plays. You've seen it happen up here every single Sunday. Where the band just continues to play and the singers stand back. And in this case, the singer begins to think about everything that he has just sung. He thinks about the fact that he used to pray and then he stopped and then he thought about the past and now he's got all of these unanswered questions and he just sits in his Selah. He wallows in his moment. The blues begin to play. It's like that Office episode where Daryl tells Michael to sing it. He's just sitting there thinking about it. Have you been there before? Have you been in a space where you're just sitting, wallowing in the pain and it feels like the music is playing but the season isn't changing and you got no prayer left, you got no song left, you're just sitting there in the Selah. And then the questions begin to come. Has God abandoned me? Has God forgotten to be kind to me? Has, have his promises failed me? Is his compassion gone? Is he gonna be gracious ever again? And as those questions come, the longer you sit there, isn't it interesting how they, be turn, they turn into accusations against God instead of questions of God? God isn't compassionate. God has forgotten me. God is gonna leave me here. This is, I've prayed and nothing's happened. And your heart gets harder and harder as you get stuck in your season. But if you're there today, listen to me very carefully. Christian, singer of God's songs, listen to me. There is a rhythm that will snap you out of your Selah moment. There is something that Asaph does in the very next line of this song that will take you out of your funk and out of your season. It will snap you out of it so that you can see clearly now that the rain is gone. It'll bring joy to your mourning and clarity to your confusion and hope to your heart. And it is the very rhythm we are talking about today, the rhythm of remembrance. Just about the moment where it looks like Asaph is done and he's tapping out and he's giving up on God, he turns a corner here in verse 11 and he begins to make a faith declaration. Look at what he says. But then I recall all you have done, O Lord, and I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. In the middle of his Selah, there's an interruption and he has a moment of clarity and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not where it ends for me. This is not where I'm gonna die. This is not where God gives up on, my, on me. I am not the first person in human history that God is going to give up on. No, I remember the faithfulness of God in the past. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And although my season doesn't look good, this is not where it ends. God is a timeless God, and this is a moment in time. He is not limited by what I'm walking through right now, so I'm gonna continue to ask, I'm gonna continue to seek, I'm gonna continue to knock, because he's promised that if I ask and I seek and I knock, that the door will be opened and there will come an answer for this moment. I will not give up. I will trust in God's faithfulness. I will look back so that I can find hope for this moment and faith for my future. 
he begins to remind himself of God's goodness. Listen, back to our thesis for a moment. Remembrance gives us hope for the present and it gives us faith for the future. If you feel hopeless in this moment, if you have no faith for the future, the answer is very simple. We need to look back at the faithfulness of God. If we look back at what God has done, we'll find hope and we'll find faith. And all of those questions that were wandering around in Asaph's head, that begin to wander around in our head, they will find their answers in the truth of God's word. We will no longer be asking questions like, has God abandoned me? Has he left me here? No, because it says in Romans chapter 11 that God will not abandon his people. Uh, is this where it ends for me? Is God no longer to be, gonna be kind to me? No, Lamentations chapter three, the kindness of the Lord never ceases. Have his promises failed me? No, because it says in Hebrews chapter six that he is not a man that he would lie or a son of man that he should not tell the truth. If he promised it to you, then it's as good as done. God is good for his word. Is he not gonna be gracious to me? No, the Lord's gonna bless you. He's gonna keep you. He's gonna cause his face to shine upon you and he will be gracious to you. Your truth is found in his word. And your word confronts our season. It confronts our conflict. And all of a sudden, we begin to go, wait a minute. I remember that God has been faithful. And if he was faithful then, he'll be faithful again in the future. Guys, we have to get this one right. We have to get good at remembering. We cannot have selective amnesia. We cannot have these moments where we forget how good God has been to us in our past. It's the difference between staying stuck in this moment or moving on into all that God has for us. Let me tell you, I have had many an opportunity over the last couple of months to begin to ask some of these questions. I've had plenty of opportunities where I begin to doubt, okay, God, where are your promises right now? And we prayed for this thing to lift and it hasn't lifted and we prayed for peace and there's been no peace. Ah, what's happening? And then I see families that have to leave because they got no jobs and I see churches that are shutting down and, and I see all this stuff happening around me and it starts to get in me and I'm worried and I'm panicking. But in those moments, I have to stop my mind from going places it doesn't need to go. And I need to think back on how faithful God has been to me. I need to think back on how faithful God has been to this church. I go, wait a minute, God, I have never been without. Your church has never been without. Every prayer that we've prayed, you have answered, God. You, when we didn't have a building, these people called us. We didn't call them. God, when we didn't have enough, you provided through your people. When we needed people, you sent people to be a part of the community here. God, I thank you that 479 people have said yes to Jesus since we started this church two years ago. I thank you that our greatest month of giving was in the middle of a global pandemic. I thank you that marriages are being saved and bodies are being healed. And we are seeing the faithfulness of God on display every single day that we continue to press on and just remember how good you've been. And when I, when I enter into that space, when I begin to remember, hope arises. I don't feel hopeless about what I'm seeing. I have hope for today and I begin to make declarations in faith for tomorrow. It changes everything. Even as I say that, I know that there are probably some people here that would say, okay, that's great for you, Tim. That's great that you've got stories of God's faithfulness and that's great that your church has stories of God's faithfulness, but that's not me. I don't have this catalog of stories, a Rolodex that I can go through of all the great things that God has done in my life. So if I don't have these stories to fall back on, if I can't remember how good God has been, what am I supposed to do? Well, if you find yourself in that space today, a little advice from your pastor. You can steal a story. You can take somebody else's. Let me show you. This is exactly what Asaph does. As he begins to 
remember in verse 11 of all the things that God has done. In the following verses, he begins to tell us what it is that he's remembering. Look at what he says in verse 15. He says, Lord, by your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the Red Sea. Your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway that no one knew was there. You led your people along that road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. Okay, so pause here. This is not Asaph's story. This, these are not events that Asaph is personally familiar with. He is the worship leader for David, all right? He is the Ronnie for David. <laughs> he, he, was, he wasn't even on the planet when this stuff took place. These events took place 450 years before he even exited his mother's womb. He's looking back at something that happened well before he was ever on the planet. He wasn't there to see the waters part for the Israelites. He wasn't there to see the manna in the desert. He wasn't there to see God provide water from the rock. And yet this guy who was not personally connected to these stories says, you know what? I'm gonna look back at somebody else's story. I'm gonna look back at what God has done in the past. And even though it's not my, my current present circumstance, I'm gonna use that as the stone of faith and foundation that I will build my life upon because if he was faithful 450 years ago, he can still be faithful today. He looks back at somebody else's story. You know what that tells me? When you don't have a story, you can steal somebody else's story and you can build your faith, even if it's not happening in your own life, on what's happened in somebody else's. You can take their story and begin to declare, God, if you were faithful to them, then you're going to be faithful to me. And let me offer a suggestion on a great place to start. Here are 66 books of stories. I don't know how many pages, but a lot of them. And on every single one of those, there's a story of God's faithfulness and his goodness and his provision and his healing and his forgiveness and his mercy. And every answer you need for every situation is found somewhere in this book. And you can steal the stories right out of here and say, if you were faithful then, you'll be faithful now. But even if this is not enough for you, which it should be, <laughs> but if it's not, guess what? You can look around at the faithfulness of God right here in this room. You can look at the stories of people right around you to build your faith, to say, if you did it for them, then you can do it for me. God, I thank you that you healed Regina. And I thank you for those baptisms today. And she said that when people laid hands on her and they prayed that those cysts disappeared from her system. So right now, the sickness that's in my body, I'm believing you're gonna heal it because if you healed her, then you can heal me. God, I thank you that you healed Pastor Robin of a blood disease. God, all the disorders that was going on in her body and all the sickness that she faced. No, I believe if you healed her, then you can take care of what's going on in the inside of my body. God, we haven't been able to conceive a child and we've been trying for years now, but I thank you that Smart and Demi, they prayed and people laid hands on them and believed for a baby. And just a couple of weeks ago, their baby was up here on this stage and it was being blessed as we bless babies at our nine o'clock service. And so if you did it for them, you can do it for me. And God, all the stories that are represented around me, the faithfulness that I see around me, I'm gonna look to them and I'm gonna look to them and I'm gonna look to them and I'm gonna trust that if you did it in their day, you can do it for me. There are stories on display you just gotta take them. And if we'll do this, if we will be those that simply remember the truth of this thesis will no longer be a concept, it will become your, your reality. You will no longer look at your present circumstance with hopelessness. You will no longer look at the future and say, it's not gonna be that great. No, remembrance will give you hope for your present and it will give you faith for your future. 
And consequently, as it applies to the sermon title today, in so doing, you will stack up some stones. Now, I know that that phrase might be foreign, but let me explain. A couple of weeks ago at our two-year anniversary, I mentioned a practice that we see throughout the Old Testament. Often when God did something significant for his people, uh, he asked them to build a monument to remember what he had done. And that monument was made up of a collection of stones that they would stack atop one another. It was called an Ebenezer, a rock of remembrance. We see it in uh, Joshua. We see it in the book of Samuel and these times all throughout the word where people would look back at an event and they would say, man, if God did that then, then surely he can do this now. Well, Asaph's song is actually one such stone stacking moment. He talks about the Israelites crossing into their promised land and uh, in Joshua chapter four, when Joshua leads the Israelites over the Jordan River, as they walk over on dry ground, the Lord tells them to take the Levites and send them back into the dry ground to pick up a couple of stones from the, the floor of the Jordan River. And he says, look at the evidence of what I've just done. I want you to take those stones and stack 12 of them on top of each other. And your generation and future generations, anytime they see these stones stacked on top of one another, it'll be a reminder to them that I was good on my promise. It'll be a reminder to them that I was faithful to open up the waters, to destroy your enemies, and to bring you into the land that I promised you so many years ago. Just look at the stones. Now, that's a great biblical concept, but I've been fortunate enough to grow up in a family where that was more than just a Bible story. It was actually a practice. For as far back as I can remember, um, I had a, a memory of the things that God had done in my family because my dad actually wrote down a bunch of the good things that God did in our life, and he would put them on stones. Uh, as a kid, I remember all of these rocks being inside of a, a tree in our family room. Uh, over time, they didn't fit in that little tree any longer, and so now they're inside this tray. But inside here are literally stones marked with Sharpies about great things that God has done in my father's life and in my family's life. Anytime God did something significant or he answered a prayer, my dad would take a stone, he would write it down, and this would serve as a memorial, as a memory of all the good things that God has done. And, and there's some cool ones in here. There's a stone that commemorates the launch of this church on September 23rd of 2018, an answer to prayer. There's a stone in here about my daughter who we prayed for for years and we were unable to get pregnant, and then finally the Lord opened my wife's womb, and Eleanor Jean was born on November 3rd, 2010, healthy at home, eight and a half inches, six pounds, nine and a half ounces, at 5.54 p.m. And then on the other side of that stone, it says that Ellie got baptized at eight years old. There's all kinds of stones in here, stories about when my dad was unemployed and was looking for work and was praying for a job that God gave him a job that he's still at today. There's also some interesting ones in here about push-ups and pull-ups, and I think there's one here that says that my dad was able to do 100 push-ups on September 14th in 1999, and July 22nd of 2020, and March 19th of 1999, and you know, there's other stones in here as well, but I mean, every one of these is a story. Every one of these is a moment that we could look back on and say, you've been faithful, you've been faithful, you've been faithful. You helped me do push-ups. You've been faithful. You've been faithful. You've been faithful. So when we walk into seasons where prayers have yet to be answered, our times get tumultuous, we've got a stack of stones we could look back on and remember that God's been faithful. Let me ask you today, 
if you had a pile of rocks, what would you write on them? What are the stories that God has, God has authored in your life? The moments that you can look back on and say, God, you have been so faithful to me. Maybe you need to literally take some rocks and write some things down. Maybe you need to get a journal out and write some things down. But let me tell you, if you are walking through a challenging chapter, if you do not want to get stuck in your Selah moment, you need to get good at remembering the faithfulness of God. It'll bring hope to your present and it will give you faith for your future. Let me pray over you today as we conclude and the band can come. Um, I wanna pray for two groups of people as we finish up here. First, I wanna pray for those that might find themselves in a season that's incredibly challenging and it's been hard to remember God's faithfulness because you feel like you're constantly accosted by the, the pain of your present moment. I wanna pray that God would remind you today of his goodness, that you'd snap out of that moment and you begin to see how faithful he truly is. And then we'll pray for another group at, at the conclusion as well. But let me pray for you, you can bow your heads. Jesus, I thank you today for your faithfulness. I thank you that we serve a God who does not change. And even though our circumstances change, even though our seasons look different, you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. The same God who delivered the Israelites can deliver us. The same God that provided food in the desert from heaven can provide for us. The same God who healed a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years can heal us. The same God who forgave a woman at a well can forgive us. All of these stories, they point to your faithfulness. They point to your goodness. And Lord, for anybody here today that is stuck in a season, stuck in a Selah moment, the music's playing and the questions are, are running through their head, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that they would snap out of it, that they would see your goodness once again, they would see your faithfulness once again. God, would you remind them of your love? Would you remind them of your presence? And would you lead them out into the fullness of what you have for them? Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.